It's a huge joy to be here. We come back, it's just like coming back to family, and a good family, you know, not like, uh, <clears throat> I mean that in the best way possible. Um, for you guys who don't know me, uh, I am a missionary, I'm sent as a missionary from Sun Valley Church to the Miztec people of southeastern Guerrero. Um, about a year ago, we left Yakima, you guys sent us off, and um, we went to the metropolis of Othello, right? You guys know Othello, right? Um, it's probably most famous for its bathroom on the way to WSU. The stop there, a good place to stop. It has four stoplights. It's really big. Um, it's a, you know, it, the, the most exciting thing about Othello is not Othello itself, right? For us, uh, living in Othello, in Othello is really an exciting thing. It's an awesome thing because um, the people there. There's the Miztec people of southeastern Guerrero live there. Uh, about 2,000 of this people group. Um, they, we found out recently that they are not just the largest unreached people group in Mexico with no church planning, but they're the largest people group in all the Americas that is an indigenous unreached people group with no church planning. Three times bigger than the next people group size. So um, just a huge opportunity, and it's a huge joy um, to be able to reach out to them and see God begin to work. Um, now, <clears throat> right now, what we're doing just to give you a quick overview, is learning the language and engaging with them. Sarah and I were sent to engage, just begin engaging them with the gospel. And um, so we're learning their language, their culture. They, they speak language different than Mexico. Uh, it's a very difficult language called Mixteco. It's a form of Mixteco Bajo. And um, Sarah and I are uh, learning that and getting to know their culture, developing relationships. And the mission that we're sent on is to plant a church planting church that will help develop missionaries and pastors of this people group, Miztec pastors and missionaries, to go back to Mexico with the gospel. So, um, yeah, and, and, you know, the part we get to enjoy most about this process has just been getting to know, get, get to see relationships develop and friendships develop. Um, they, you know, these people are, actually, I really enjoy being with them. A lot of people really have, they've really been ostracized, but they're actually really hardworking people, just down to earth. Um, I, I really love to be with them, but uh, it's also one of the most painful things I've done, too, getting to know these people. You, you get to know their stories, and they're just stories that are hard to hear, um, like every person, just heartbreaking stories, and they reveal just crushing burdens, um, burdens that I, I've, I haven't had to live through, and that it, things that they've had to labor for and fr be frustrated for and see loss in, in ways that I've never experienced. Um, and, and, you know, most people would be able to drive by in these parts of Othello. Uh, we live in this little community where the Miztec people live, and you'd be able to drive by, and most anybody would be able to see these little houses and realize that they're burdened people. I mean, you see this 20 by 20 foot concrete box with 18 people living inside it, um, those all crammed together, and you see them working, you know, seven days a week for a lot of the year, and um, it, it's really obvious. I mean, you'll see a little, like, these 50-year-old trailers with tarps on the roofs and blankets on the walls for the insulation, um, and they'll have multiple families inside with, you know, all they have to heat the whole trailer is this little, you know, uh, propane open flame burner right in the middle of the living room. Um, I mean, yeah, you can tell it's a burdened life, but <clears throat> you're really mistaken if, if you think that their main burden in life is this 
you know, physical problem. They actually, a lot of them, this is actually a better lifestyle than they had in Mexico. It's a lot better. Um, to really get to know their burdens, you have to get to know their stories. Uh, they, they have deep wounds. And if you begin to listen to their stories, it be, you, get to, you start to see that not only are their, their physical burdens way heavier than you thought, but their spiritual burdens are far heavier, that their souls are far more weighed down than their physical lives. So um, I want to pray again, and as we come to the, um, come to the scripture, and I get to, I wanna, I'm excited to be able to share with you guys the message that we get to share with the Mystic people. The message we bring is the message of hope. So let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, just, I thank you for the message of hope that, we, that you've given us, that um, you are a God who knows our plight. You are a God who is not um, distant from us, but you've made yourself near. God, I, I pray that you would uh, open up our eyes to understand um, what you call us to, that you would open our eyes to see how great is our salvation in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, <clears throat> I just want to open up with a quick story. My closest friend in Othello right now is a Mystic friend named Jose. He's actually not named Jose, but you know that's the generic Mexican name that you use <clears throat> when you want to guard someone's privacy, right? Um, Jose was born in a small town in the mountains of southeastern Guerrero, and he was the fourth born of five kids, and he was a, in a family of subsistence living. He lived, his family lived off the land. It was a diff- difficult life, and from a young age, he would be taught with the family um, to, to work, uh, work together and survive off the land. Uh, he was, <clears throat> when he was only two years old, um, his oldest brother started to get um, terrible headaches, and his family watched as this son suffered. I think he was about 12 years old, um, and they watched helplessly as those headaches got worse and worse, and um, with the, the medical help around there, which was almost nothing, um, their son passed away from a, a bad brain tumor. They don't really know. And, um, and then he watched um, his father, who in his sorrow of losing his son, um, drank and drank himself to death. So he lost his oldest brother. He lost his father. And, um, and with the main provider of the household dead, he then watched as his family started to plummet down this road of poverty and, and hardship. Um, and he watched as his mom um, sold almost everything she had, all the, all the chickens, all the goats, um, parts of their land to try to survive. And then as it got worse, he would watch, you know, go with his mom and, and he would hear other men whistle at his mom and say snide comments about her poverty um, and trying to push her into a life of um, prostitution overtly. Um, he would, um, and then he would watch as his oldest brother uh, would would run, um, couldn't take it anymore, and ran off to find the only hope he thought he could have, which was life in the States. Um, and then he would watch as his mother followed a few years later, do the same thing with his oldest sister. Um, and then he would watch his younger brother go off to military school in a different part of Mexico and, and leave him there alone with his grandparents. His grandparents were there, but effectively he was alone. He would go to sleep in this, you know, one big kind of just concrete box um, living room, and, um, and he would go to sleep in tremendous fear. The, the, you know, fears have just been pouring into his life 
Um, and all, all he knows is to expect this fear. But, but on top of that, um, he talks about how he would try to go to sleep and he'd be constantly tormented by these nightmares and by what he believed are goats, I mean ghosts and spirits attacking him in the night. And, and, you know, he would try to go to church. He would try to do these rituals. He would bring, you know, little idols to church to try to get him blessed, to protect him and protect his house from these spirits. Uh, that didn't work, you know. Um, as, much as, it, it, you know as much as he thought it was maybe helping a little bit, in the end it just kept happening. And um, his life got to a point of just despair. And eventually that despair, that knowledge of how heavy, he, he didn't have anywhere to go. His soul was uh, heavy laden with this fearful expectation that I'm going to die sometime soon. I'm going to be separated from everything I love. Um, and he eventually did the same thing and fled to the only hope, he, you know, the hope that he thought was going to help him, which was going to the States. Now, I don't know if you, have you guys ever felt that kind of weight? I mean, that's a pretty extreme story. It's, you learn these stories and it just burdens me. But I, maybe you haven't experienced that to that extent. But the reality is we all have experienced the same, um, been subject to the same basic burden. This reality that we are going to die. All living things die. It's a, there, we have a fearful expectation of judgment because of sin. And we can't escape it. Um, and even we who are Christians who claim to be followers of Jesus and claim to have a hope that is real, that can overcome this, so much of the time we still live in fear and still live in condemnation and are burdened with unconfessed guilt. So today we're going to consider together with what Christ says in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. So please turn there um, if you have your Bibles. We're going to begin, we're going to read the context of this passage, and, um, and so we're going to begin in verse 25. So that's Matthew eleven twenty-five. Verse 25 says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except for the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I'm going to read verse 28 through 30 one more time. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> first question. What is the first thing that we need to know 
for this verse to be good news. It's a great promise, but who's it addressed to here in this passage? Who's he talking to? It says, to those who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus is inviting those who labor and heavy laden. So the first point is that the promise of rest is only for those who are heavy laden. Now let's clarify. What does that mean? What does it mean to be someone who labors and is heavy laden? And in the context of this passage, it simply means to be someone who is spiritually wearied by the unbearable pressures of sinful life. Okay? Jesus is talking about later here, rest for the soul. He's not just talking about giving a remedy for physical rest. He's talking about a spiritual problem. Um, these are the kind of pressures, this is the kind of weight that comes from a life of rebellion against God. This is the sinful, broken world, this death that we have is something of our own design. It's something that's, that came from sin. It's, you know, it's, we could say it's this life-sucking weight that you've earned for yourself by being the king of your life. This weight is something of our own design. This weight is the expectation of condemnation for sin. So, and second, are you heavy laden? So if that's what it means to be heavy laden, are, are you really heavy laden? Um, it, it, in reality, all of us are, right? But sometimes we don't recognize it. Do you recognize your heavy load? Uh, do your ears perk, perk up when you hear this? If you were in the crowd, if you were there with Jesus listening, and Jesus called out, would your ears per, perk up when you heard, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and you'd be like, uh, that's me, that's me. And I would say that if, if you don't perk up to that, then uh, you haven't come to grips with the reality of what our lot is in life. Um, if you think that you're good enough, you're, you don't understand the reality or situation. So even if you don't experience a hard-pressed life like the Mistech people do, so many of them, difficult lives. And even if you weren't, well, it's like some of the people in Jesus' day who were hard-pressed as well, who had these burdens the Pharisees would put on, on top of them, this legalism that just made that weight of condemnation, that guilt get all the heavier. Even if you don't have those kind of overt, clear, heavy burdens, even if you live in a family that you know, is good, with good parents, good friends, good job, you're still bound to the same destiny. You can't get away from it. One day, you're going to have to wrestle with the reality of death. And I would just encourage you, um, don't brush it off. Um, it's a scary thing to, you know, look off the precipice of a canyon. But it, you need to realize, look at the, the, the gravity of these things and realize the brevity of your life, that you're a breath, that you... Um, need help so much. And one of the things I love about working with the Mystic people is that they, they just understand this. They're just down to earth, and they understand that they need help. Albeit they're looking for help in all the wrong places, they at least understand that they need help. Um, they don't start talking about, you know, the philosophy of, can you really know truth? You know, like, uh, you go to Seattle and you talk to postmodern philosophy and it's these kind of aimless talks that don't go anywhere. They understand the basic reality that I do need help, that um, I'm small. I, I mean, I, that we have this idea that 
I can shape my own destiny. I can be anything I want to be. Uh, the mystic people understand that, no, I'm small. That I'm, I'm like a you know, grain of dust being blown in the wind, and I desperately um, need help. I don't have hope unless somebody comes to help me. I'm not going to live long. I need help. So do you realize that? Like we can learn from the mystic people here. They, they've been confronted. Death's been in their face their whole life. And they've come to that, at least that basic conclusion that they need help. Do you, have, have you come to that conclusion? And if you do come to that conclusion, do you know what it looks like? It's the third thing. Do you, do you know what it looks like to confess that weight, to recognize it? What does that look like? And here I just want to back up and look at these first few verses before verse 28. <clears throat> the answer is confession. That that's how you recognize your, your guilt. That's the first step you need to do. And confession simply means to accurately, honestly admit that your sin has caused this disastrous weight. Just be honest. But unfortunately, this is actually a lot harder than it might look. Because if you don't fear God for who he is, if you don't know who he is, you don't understand how much you've, who you've offended. You don't understand the gravity of your sin. And you won't be able to identify your sin. You're not going to be able to confess it until you come to the grips with, until you come to grips with the reality that Jesus is God. He's the king. And you're not. That's a, that's a really scary thing. You know, the, the first, you know, God, Jesus is more terrifying than you realize. He's way more terrifying than you realize. You might ask, how? <clears throat> Just go to, let's go to verse 25 through 26. This verse should scare you more than you think it does. More than it probably does right now. The Father has, <clears throat> it says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So first, there's nothing that you can do to gain favor with God. That's why it's, it's terrifying. There's nothing that you can do, no matter how wise or understanding you are, to gain favor with God. The wise and understand so these things, first of all, in this passage is talking about salvation. It's talking about the promise of the kingdom, the mystery of the kingdom, the hope of life with God. And God is saying that he is hiding them from the wise and understanding. The wise and understanding here uh, refers simply to those who are wise and understanding in the eyes of the world, wise and understanding in their own eyes. And these little children is what, who he reveals this to. And little children here doesn't refer to people who are, you know, morally pure or innocent. That's not what it's getting at here. It's getting at people, it's getting at, uh, it, the word can be translated as babies. This is talking about people who are completely dependent on others. So on one hand, you have the independent people who are wise and understanding in their own eyes in the world. They don't need God. They are trying hard. And then you have the completely other-dependent children, on the other hand. And God is saying that he hides it from these people. And he reveals it to these people. And that's, that's really scary. I mean, because what are you, honestly? If you were to ask yourself, 
uh, what do I want people to think of me as, what would you choose if you were honest? Do you want to be known as a simple person who depends totally on someone else? Or would you rather be known as that independent, strong person who made his own way in the world? I think it's telling if we ask ourselves that question. Then if you start looking at verse, verse 27, if that didn't scare you enough, if it doesn't scare you enough that nothing you can do can gain favor with God, that it has to be revealed to you, if that doesn't scare you, then uh, just look at the next verses. Verses uh, um, 27 it says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Everything. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and, to whom and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now we know that to know the Father is eternal life. This is life. This is the Bible's definition of life, is knowing the Father. And it makes, Jesus makes it crystal clear here that nobody can come to the Father unless Jesus chooses to reveal God the Father to him. Jesus that, that's a terrifying thing. That he is the one in charge of who will know the truth. That he is the one. It, you can't have a relationship with God unless he chooses you. That's, that's not a fun thing to talk about for us because we're powerless. We realize that, if we understand this correctly, that we've separated ourselves from God. That's our lot. We don't have anything to make God want to have favor on us. That we're not in charge of our own destinies anymore. We, we've, we've consigned to a certain route. And so you've got to realize that um, Jesus really is more terrifyingly powerful than you realize. But this passage also shows that Jesus is far gentler and kinder than you realize too. He is far kinder than you realize. Verse 28, Jesus warmly bids you to come and recognize, if you recognize your name, you heavy laden, laboring people who are weary, come. Realize that his awesome power above all things, that he's in control of all things, and then realize that as such, he talks to you, he speaks to you, and he says, come and receive his rest. That simple. He just says, come. The same king who is above all things, is what it says here is he is gentle and lowly in heart. He is not a cold, calculating God who doesn't care about your fate. He's Jesus. In Philippians 2, it says, this is the one who emptied himself and took the form of a servant born in the likeness of men and, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is, I mean, this is Jesus. God, everything in God, in, in, in God, is nothing that is not Christ-like. Everything about God that revealed to us is revealed through Christ, about the character and the nature of God. And you see that he's a kind God. He's, a, he's, he's Jesus who honestly laments over Jerusalem and says, 
How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you're not willing. And and remember, this is Jesus who sacrificed himself for us, who caused his pain, like the hymn says. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. So with a God like this, a good God, a gentle God who knows us, will you come? The second point is the promise of rest is only for those who come. Now, how do you do that? That might sound abstract to you. How do you come to Jesus 2,000 years after he said this on earth? If you were there, this wouldn't be a very abstract concept. You would just listen, and if you believed, you would go, and you'd talk to him, and you'd listen to him, right? And honestly, the thing, today, it's really not that abstract either. You do the same thing. If you believe, you go talk to him, and you listen to him. So first, you must believe on him. You must believe that Jesus is just who he said he was, the only God and Savior, the only one who chooses who will be saved. You have to realize he is Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the one and only. And you must believe his promise that if you come, he will give you rest. And then if you believe in him, second, you need to, you must talk to him. Well, how do you do that? Where's Jesus? How do we do that now? He's in heaven, right? After he made sacrifice for sin, he rose again, just like he said, in victory over death, went to heaven, and he's still there right now. And is he still on vacation? I know you guys know the answer to that. No, he's not. But we tend to act like he is, like he's totally separated from our lives. In Hebrews 7.25, it says that he's actively interceding for us in heaven. It says he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. To make, this means that if you talk to him, he will hear you right now. That means if you pray and ask him for help, he will help you. That's what it means that he's interceding for us. Just talk to him. <laughs> you don't, need, don't worry about having all the right words in, in mind uh, if you haven't prayed before or haven't prayed much. Don't, don't try to figure out all those things. Yes, you need to come to him in reverence and learn from Scripture. But also realize what it says here, that, that he is gentle and lowly in heart. When it says lowly in heart, it means that at the core of his nature, that he is humble and approachable. That seems, that's like a not, it seems like it's a paradox, right? God, the transcendent one who is above all, who lives in unapproachable light, has made himself approachable. Like it says in Philippians 2, that he's a teacher who, has, who treats you as more important than himself. That's the same attitude that we should have for each other, the same attitude of Christ who treated us as more important than himself. So talk to him. And third, after you talk to him, you believe in him, you got to start listening to him. How does Jesus talk to you when he's in heaven? I think you know the answer to that. Everything that Jesus taught was scripture. Did you know that? Everything that Jesus taught was, was, was scripture. 
Scripture is God speaking. That's a hard thing for us to grasp. But he speaks to us in third person, second person, first person. It is God communicating himself to you so that you might have life with God. Scripture is God communicating himself to you so that you might have life with God. So read scripture, even the difficult and the weird parts, okay? The scripture is filled with things that I'm still wrestling over trying to understand, but have the confidence that all of it relates to the person, the work of Jesus, that it's all useful for getting to know the person of Jesus, you won't have a relationship with somebody if you, you're not communicating with them. If you're not listening to them, you're not going to have much of a relationship with any person, right? If you're the only one talking and not listening, it's a very one-sided relationship. And you won't have much of a relationship with God um, if you only are content to listen and read a little bit about him, you know, the fuzzy details about what he's done in general, and not keep learning, um, I mean, you don't get to know somebody very well unless you know their story, unless you know what their desires are, unless they know what they want of you. Um, and, and so go to Scripture, listen, and you'll find that you'll grow closer with Jesus. So will you actually do this? Will you actually go? <clears throat> for, for all who do so, he promises to give rest, spiritual rest, this is salvation, to be given the rest of Jesus. No more striving, no more condemnation, peace with God. And do, do you have this? I hope you have this. And if you don't have this, why are you hesitating? What keeps you from having this rest? Like it says in Isaiah 55 that we just read, just come, you who thirst, incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So come to him, just listen. He will make a covenant with you. He will bind yourself to him. He invites you to come and listen. He invites that your soul will have rest that lasts. Now Jesus also makes it clear that this rest isn't just, you don't come to Jesus and get rest, and just that doesn't mean you sleep for the rest of your Christian life, and that's all done with. It's not merely a rest of being freed from a burden that was too great for you to bear. That's not it. That's not, that is that. It's part of that. It certainly is true that Jesus takes away that unbearable, crushing burden of sin, of guilt, the fear of eternal death, these requirements of the law that you couldn't keep. But Jesus clarifies that coming to him also means finding rest in the very act of taking his yoke upon oneself. So it's, you're, you're trading one burden and he's putting on, to, and you take on another. That, the, that very act of taking a yoke upon yourself is where you find this rest. And this yoke means to become a disciple of Jesus. So will you take his yoke upon you and learn from him? That's the third point. The promise of rest is for those who learn from him. And what does that mean? What does it mean to take his yoke upon you and learn from him? To take his yoke upon you <clears throat> simply means to bind yourself to him. It's a phrase uh, that means to commit to follow him. Uh, the word picture is like that of an ox, 
right, obviously, of an ox that's bound to bear the burden to do the bidding of his master. He's got a yoke, and he's yoked to do the bidding of his master. The phrase was also used, um, you see it in Jeremiah, to to take someone's yoke upon yourself was a mark of servitude. You're marking yourself as a servant of your Lord. And this is essentially... um, and this is what God called you to, to do. He doesn't call you to merely come once and then find rest, and that's a, a one-time thing. He bids you to come and never leave. To make yourself his. And that's essentially what we do at baptism. That's, uh, this, it's, not just a mere, it's not just a personal act. It's, it's something that we do in a public way that, that shows that we are, we are marked for Christ. We follow him. Our lot is with him. Second, what does it mean to learn from him? So it says to take your, his yoke upon you and learn from me. To learn from him is the very point of why you bind yourself to Christ, right? These things go together. It's an, inv- it's an invitation into a life of learning, not just a one-time event. And this is a life of discipleship is what he calls us to. The, the verb here that's, that's in Greek for, for to learn, learn from me, is uh, the, the, the noun form of that verb is what's translated as disciple. He calls you to be a disciple. <clears throat> now, coming to get rest sounds good, right? But <clears throat> as soon as you hear that coming to him means becoming a disciple of Christ, you might not be as excited. That's maybe not a, a good term in your mind. Um, but make no mistake, there's not such a thing as a convert that's not a disciple. Everyone who comes to Christ is to be a disciple of Christ. Now, most of us might not believe that um, discipleship's good news or even desirable, uh, because if you look at what Jesus calls disciples to do, it's pretty extreme. They must be willing to lose everything for the sake of Christ, to have family hate them, to lose all their fortunes, and to follow Jesus to the grave. Take up your cross and follow him. That sounds like a process of death <laughs> and pain. This doesn't sound like something that's that desirable. It doesn't sound like rest, does it? It is a process. I mean, I can attest to this. Following Christ is a process of death and pain, dying to yourself, finding things that were more painful than you realize. So how is the yoke good news? How does this work? The passage gives us two main reasons that this is good news. It's really simple. He says, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. One, his yoke is easy. <clears throat> so I'll make a shocking statement. Being a disciple is easy, it says here. Second, his burden is light. Doing the work of a disciple is a light burden. <clears throat> well, how is that possible? <laughs> how, do you, how does the life of discipleship, of bearing your cross and falling after Christ and losing everything, how is that easy? Simply, this passage shows us that this yoke is easy. And the word here, just so you know, the, the word here, easy, denotes something, not, not just something that's, that's easy to carry or do, but it's something that's actually des- desirable, joyful, a good burden, something that we're meant for. And the yoke is easy because through it, Jesus promises rest to sustain us. Um, like one commentator said, Jesus did not escape the hard life, but he could experience rest and refreshment 
in its midst. Christians are not promised freedom from illness or calamity, but they may experience God's sustaining grace so that they are not crushed or driven to despair. So it's crucial to clarify that the burden of being a disciple is of a completely different nature than the old burden that crushed us. The weight is something we're designed for uh, and enabled to do when we're yoked together with Christ. That's why we're able to do it. We have his help. In reality, the requirements and the standards of living as a disciple of Christ are no less stringent than the law's requirements. And in fact, they're all the more demanding if you read the Sermon on the Mount. The disciple is promised to have persecution and hardship in the Bible. But even in the midst of all these, one can find rejuvenating rest in drawing near to Christ through the Holy Spirit. Christ gives the Holy Spirit to help us and sustain us. He promises us uh, to begin a work in us and carry it on to completion. It doesn't rest on our strength anymore. It rests on his strength to live the Christian life. So when by faith we truly confess our sin, come to Christ and learn from him, he promises we will find rest. And in this way, in the very labor of discipleship, which is hard, we can be sustained and need not worry about losing the joy and the strength for a life lived hard after Christ. I mean, just look at Paul, his life. He struggled more than all the other disciples, he says. But like he says in Colossians 1, we can struggle with all Christ's energy towards Christ's purposes and expect victory because Christ will carry it on to completion. And although we're wasting away, Inwardly, we're renewed day by day. He will carry the work on to completion. So, if you're burnt out, I know that we get burnt out as Christians. Christians need to hear this. We need to keep hearing this. Those who don't know Christ need to hear this. And if you're burnt out, if you're heavy laden, I, I urge you to confess your burden. Look, look at God, realize he is God, I am not. Ask him for help to understand your sin. Confess your burden. Then come to him. That means praying. That means believing. That means reading the scriptures. And then learn from him. Commit to learn from him. Understand that he's freed you from one life and given you a new life that you're given a purpose and a burden that you are meant to bear. Now, after all this, you might say to me, um, how do I know? You know, we were talking about the sovereignty of God. How do I know that Christ chooses me? <laughs> we can get stuck in this frame, frame of mind trying to wrestle with the sovereignty of God and the, and the, the, the choice of man. I would suggest that we, we don't need to... Uh, frustrate ourselves trying to reconcile these two with the knowledge we have. Um, we don't uh, need to try to reconcile these things because the Bible says they're both true. They're both true. And so I, I want to leave you with this. A wise man once told me, you take the first step. Come to him. He'll help you take the next and by the third step, you'll realize that he's the one who made you take the first step. So take the first step. He'll help you take the second. 
And by the third step, you'll realize it was him who gave you the faith to believe. You'll realize that he was the one who worked in you to change your heart. He's the one who made you able to confess. But realize, it's that simple. If you hear him, if you know him, come to him. Trust him. He's kind, and he will sustain you. He will give you rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the way that you've related to us, that you've come down, you made yourself man, you lived the life we could never have lived, and you sacrificed yourself for us. Now, Father, we, we, we know and believe that um, you offer yourself that if anyone comes to you, you will not turn them away. You do not turn away. You do not break a bruised reed. And Father, I know that there are many here who uh, uh, we all have suffered uh, the wounds and the, 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 uh, the evil of sin, things that we have earned for ourselves, Father, and it's crushing. We have no hope without you. And Father, we just we come to you and we say, God, give us rest. God, please sustain us. We say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.